Welcome to the Friday Men's Breakfast Podcast, brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. In today's lesson from the Book of Romans, we will begin our study of the biblical teaching of sanctification. Through our time together today, we will learn that we are dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So open your Bibles to Romans chapter 6 and join us as we continue to see how God's righteousness for the unrighteous is revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wanted to let you know, as we look at the theme for our study, for our our study in Romans, which is that God's righteousness for the unrighteous, which is us, by the way, is revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been studying that and learning that and seeing that argument laid out in this wonderful book of Romans. I also just wanted to make sure that you knew that I have been missing the maps just as much as you have. So that is why, on your notes, you have a microscopic map of the Mediterranean Sea, which shows Rome in the upper left corner, which is where these Christians were living and where their church was located, and then kind of towards the lower right is the city of Corinth, where Paul, around A.D. 56 or 57, was writing this letter to these Christians whom he had never visited, some of whom he knew, but he was writing them to encourage them in their walk with Jesus as a church body. And I was reminded listening to something yesterday that the culture of Rome was not exactly what we would call a righteous culture. It was the capital of this great empire of the time. It was the world headquarters. It had a litany of unrighteousness going on in and outside of its city walls, in and around its empire. And here you have these Christians who are seeking to follow Jesus faithfully in the midst of this unrighteous culture. And Paul writes this book to them and has a lot to say to them today and to us about the importance of being a holy people set apart. So as you see there on your notes, the big picture outline for the book of Romans, we find ourselves in this section called sanctification, which we'll be starting today, starting at the beginning of chapter 6, moving through the end of chapter 8, and I'll explain a little bit about what that word means in just a moment. And then within the sanctification section, there's a further breakdown as we begin today, part one of sanctification dead to sin, alive to God. And you can see over these next several weeks, of course, we'll be taking a bit of a break next week and then taking a break right around Christmas time and then coming back in January, but we'll pick back up our study in sanctification over the the next few sessions that we do have together. And I'm very excited. So um, sanctification part one, dead to sin, alive to God. And what we want to do is we want to walk through and explain what what is sanctification. Now, some people, some biblical scholars and theologians will use different words for sanctification. Some will say that it's a spiritual transformation, and that's true. Some will say that it's uh, discipleship and spiritual growth, and that's true as well. But when we think about sanctification, the root of the word uh, sanctified is something that is set apart. So some theologians will point out that you have what's called positional sanctification, which means that upon the moment of faith in Christ, you and I are set apart. We are sanctified unto God's service, and we are set apart as holy. And that's, that's true. There is positional sanctification. 
It's uh, right in lines with justification that we learn, have learned about these last few weeks. But other theologians have pointed out that sanctification is also seen as a process or progress. So they call it progressive sanctification, meaning that from the moment you trust Christ until your dying day, you are in this process of being transformed to be more like Christ. And that is the sanctification that we look at in these chapters in Romans, this spiritual growth process of us being sanctified by faith, by grace, through faith, through the work of the Holy Spirit. So um, as it's articulated on your sheets there, sanctification is God's ongoing work of imparting his righteousness in and through the Christian by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. And if justification, which we've been learning about over these last several sessions, is God's work of imputing or crediting his righteousness to us by faith, then sanctification, which we're going to be looking at these next few sessions, is his work of imparting his righteousness to us by the same faith. One professor that I had named Harold Honer stated it this way, sanctification is taking justification seriously. So it it flows very well from what we learned about and have been learning about our our justification, that movement from uh, death to life through faith in Christ, where we are credited the righteousness of Christ, and now we see that righteousness being walked out in practical ways as we're being transformed to be more like Jesus Christ. That's God's plan, by the way. His plan is not just, oh yeah, you believe, check, you're in heaven. His plan is, yes, you believe you're in heaven uh, in the future, but until then, you have a walk to walk out, a life to live that is to be a reflection and an ongoing growth transformation to be more like Jesus Christ. And that's a beautiful thing, and that's an overwhelming thing, and that's why we're here, looking at this book of Romans to find out what might that look like in our lives. Corwin Hammond, who did a wonderful job teaching us last week on our final lesson on justification, uh, he basically said justification walked out should result in an outward manifestation of the inner regeneration that we have as Christians. Maybe you remember uh, him sharing that with us. But it's a lifelong process of transformation through the power of the Holy Spirit, and that means we cannot do this alone. We cannot white-knuckle and clench our teeth and just say, I'm going to be good enough, I'm going to obey enough, and I'll do it on my own strength. Uh Uh-uh. Not possible. You have to have God's resources and God's power and His grace through the Holy Spirit. And I really believe that a foundational element of understanding what we've been called to as followers of Jesus in sanctification and transformation is this foundational idea of identity in Christ, which is going to be uh, hit upon uh, much in many different ways by Paul as we look at chapter 6. So uh, Romans 6 is Paul's uh, really focus of why we are to obey God instead of give in to the lusts and the temptations and the, the sin that we can so often give into as Christians. It's really meant to be a great chapter that explains why it should not be so in our lives. And over the past, uh, the, just even just recently, looking back at some notes, I took a wonderful class from a professor named Dr. Bill Lawrence on the spiritual life, and I was just looking back in preparation for this on those notes that he shared 20, 20 or so years ago, which have been so foundational and helpful for me in my walk with Christ. And so I'm excited to walk through 
this part of Romans with you, just as he walked us through it 20 years ago in that class. And the big idea from Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14 is, in Christ Jesus, we have a new identity whereby we are free from the power of sin and free to live lives of obedience and holiness to God. It's a new identity. We are free from the power of sin and free to live lives of holiness and obedience and surrender unto God. And I believe these next few lessons can have a profound impact on our spiritual lives, wherever we are, wherever our struggle and our sin might be, that we can have some great truth to take away. So uh, looking then, as you flip your sheets over, to this theme for, for today from Romans 6, 1 through 14, uh, dead to sin, alive to God. What I'd like to do is read, I'm just going to read the passage, and then we're going to go back and make some observations and some applications along the way, because it's a, it's a very applicational passage, as we just uh, will find out. So uh, starting in verse 1, reading through verse 14 of Romans 6, we hear these words from the Apostle Paul to us. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. In the death he died, he died to sin. Once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present the mem your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. And that is a, a good time to say amen. 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 These are good words. Let's unpack this a little bit. Uh, and I believe even the first five verses, some observations we make are really foundational for the rest of the chapter um, but you'll notice the language that Paul continues this courtroom proceeding, so to speak. I see my friend Andy Dean over there. He, he loves being in that courtroom, don't you, Andy? No, not really. Um, so let's, let's consider maybe he's making his opening or maybe closing argument to opponents who would seek to uh, really dis, uh, dismantle his argument that he's, he's writing about, about this great grace in the gospel. And uh, really up in chapter 5, verse 20 some people um, may have made the assumption that he writes that the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. 
And so Paul is anticipating that some people will say, well, if sin increases, grace abounds even more, then maybe we should live in such a way that reflects sin. And that's why Paul articulates, as he does seven times throughout this letter, this rhetorical question, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And his answer very strongly is, by no means, which is a phrase he repeats ten times throughout the whole book of Romans, in the letter of Romans, which is in what's called the optative mood, which means it is an extremely passionate and emotional response. This professor that I mentioned said that in the vernacular, it literally could be translated, hell no. (laughs) And a professor at seminary said it, so I can say it in a men's Bible study. But really, it's just a strong way of saying, absolutely not. We should not continue in sin. And what, what he means by continuing in sin, it's continuing as if sin still has dominion over our lives. And he says, absolutely not, because it is not true of you anymore in Christ. The opponents would ask, should we continue to live under the power and dominion of sin? And he says, by no means. And if you look at the repetition of the words that come throughout the rest of this chapter, it's really remarkable. Sin is repeated about 16 times. Died, dead, and death is repeated about 11 times. And that word for dying, dead, and death, you should understand that, and we should understand that to mean a separation. A separation. The word live or live, alive, and life, they're repeated nine times throughout to give you a theme of what Paul is getting at here. So what he's, what he's writing about is that something has fundamentally changed in your life and mine upon the moment of belief in Jesus Christ. There has been a change in our relationship to the power and dominion of sin because of our faith in Jesus. In a sense, we could think about this as our citizenship has switched from the kingdom of sin, which used to rule and have dominion over us, to the kingdom of Christ and his righteousness, where he is our true king and he is our true master now. Sin no longer is. And that's what he means when he says dead. You have died to sin. You've died to its kingship. You no longer have to obey its rules. Its reign is not applicable to your life and mine anymore. But the reign of King Jesus and his righteousness and his holiness That is your identity now. We have been severed from our old master and united with our new master, Jesus. That's what this language of baptized into Christ Jesus means. It's an identification or a union with Christ by faith. Now, the physical act of baptism is that outward display of that inner transformation that happens, right? That's what baptism is meant to show. It's meant to show a transformed life. Actually, language here from Romans plays very much into the baptism act. It's because we're united with Christ in his death and his burial and his resurrection. And that's what you see when the physical act of baptism takes place. You've died, you're buried, and now you're raised to new life. The act of baptism doesn't do that, by the way. It's your faith in Jesus that does that. That's what leads to that transformation. But the physical act of baptism displays that for the world to see. Now, interestingly, water baptism and that act of being dunked and immersed, while that may be in the background here, this may not actually be directly what Paul is referring to when he mentions being baptized into Christ Jesus. Because the word baptism 
It could have a number of meanings in, in different contexts, but the word baptizo, which is where we get baptism, literally means to be identified. And so oftentimes when you would have in the ancient world a piece of fabric that was white and it would be dipped into a dyed color and come out a different color, that was also referred to as baptism. So something has changed fundamentally with that piece of cloth and something has changed for, for you and me upon the moment of faith in Jesus Christ. We have a new identity in Christ Jesus. And being baptized into the death of Christ reminds us of the words that James and John heard from Jesus when they asked him, hey, when you come in glory, can we sit on your right and your left? And Jesus says to them, you know, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I will be baptized with? He was referring to his death. And they said, yes, we can. And that was in Matthew chapter 20. But this idea of baptism being united with him in his death signifies the separation, as we've said, and that change of identity and that separation to, from the dominion and power of sin in our lives. Uh, you'll notice throughout these verses you have this interplay between death and dying and living and, and resurrection, and this all speaks to this incredible transformation which has happened in our lives. We are dead to sin and the power of sin. So uh, this change happens, and uh, really uh, to understand this idea of united, this idea of being united in Christ, is, it's to being grown or fused together. That means that we are being fused together with our Savior, identified with Him, having a new union with Him. We find that we are united with Him in His resurrection, and what that means is that Christ was raised physically from the grave. We believe that, amen. That's the good news of the gospel, that Jesus is alive. And so too, we are raised with him spiritually through our faith so that we might live a new quality of life. And that's what Paul is writing about in verse 4, that we too might walk in newness of life. It's a new quality of life. It's a new way of living. It's a new lifestyle if you will, that reflects the fact that he is raised and that we are raised with him and he is our representative. So his physical resurrection points to our own uh, physical resurrection in the future and it reminds us of the new kind of lives that we are called to live as surrendered and obedient people in Christ Jesus. So that's why all of these verses and through verse 5 are so foundational to understand this, right? We have we died to sin. That means we are no longer mastered by our old master, sin, in the old kingdom. But our identity and our citizenship has changed upon faith in Christ, where we have a new master, a new king. And we are to live under his rule and his reign, by his grace, being transformed through his Holy Spirit, to live wholly surrendered lives to him. And the reason why we do this is so that the world might see that there is a God who redeems and a redeemed people live in a redeemed way so that the world might know of this God who brings salvation. So our lives are meant to be a reflection of this. The question then is, how can we do this? How do we live this new quality of life and walk in newness of life? And that's where we get to those uh, blanks on your page. And we're, we're just going to make some observations as we walk through here. Number one is that we must know, we must know, that our old self was crucified. Now, these, uh, this is, again, such an important 
truth that we have to embrace. And it is easy for me to forget, I know for us to forget when temptation is at its strongest, but we have to know that we, our old self, was crucified. I'll read verses 6 through 8. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. So this language of the old self, this is referring to, um, and, and some will call it the old man Different scholars have used different words for this over the generations. Uh, But this is our old identity before we had trusted Jesus Christ. Our uh, Our old way of being in the kingdom of sin that used to have dominion over us. That's our old identity, our old self. And that old self, that old identity was crucified, spiritually speaking, not physically, because we've never gone through that act. Our Savior has gone through that act for us so that we might have this new self, this new life. And upon the moment that we trusted in Jesus, this old self was crucified with Jesus. Uh, We might think about this as when the old self is when we were in Adam, as opposed to now by faith we are in Christ. And Corwin Hammond had a chart last week where he had in Adam, this was true of us, but in Christ, this is now true of us. What was true of us in Adam is no longer true. What is true is now who we are in Christ. And the results of this crucifixion of the old self is that the body of sin is brought to nothing. That language there, brought to nothing, that term refers to something that's nullified, rendered inoperative, abolished, destroyed, paralyzed, or put out of gear. So something that no longer has any power, it's disengaged, it's dislocated, it can no longer work. And so I believe what Paul is writing here is that no longer do our bodies need to be used for the purposes of sin, because spiritually speaking, we're no longer under sin's dominion. Sin has no power over us anymore. We have died with Christ and died to sin, and death means freedom. We don't often think of it that way, but spiritually speaking, in our lives, death means freedom. We have been set free. The word there in uh, the text in verse 7 is actually we've been justified from sin. The truth is we can choose to sin, and we do, but we do not have to make that choice anymore. We do not have to make the choice to sin. And that's good news. Because oftentimes when temptation is rearing its head in my life, I think there's no way that I can uh, choose anything other than to sin in this moment. Whether what I'm thinking, what I'm saying, what I'm doing. But that is not true. The truth is we've died to that. And we do not have to give in to that temptation anymore. It is no longer our master. And the good news too is that not only did Jesus die, but Jesus was also raised. And we learned about the importance of his resurrection and our own justification. Now we learn about the importance of his resurrection power in our sanctification, in our walking out of our faith. So not only did we die with Christ, but we've also been raised with him. Number two on your sheet, uh, we must also know, that's our word know again, K-N-O-W, that Christ has been raised from the dead. 
And just both of these principles about knowing our old self's been crucified and knowing Christ has been raised from the dead, we could think about this falling in the category of our, our mind as disciples of Jesus Christ, something that we must know. I'll read verses 9 and 10. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will, also, uh, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So we have been raised with Christ in his resurrection, spiritually speaking. And of course, this looks forward to the day physically where we will be raised in the future. But we have been raised to a new life as new creations in Christ. I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians 5.17, a verse that is close to my heart, which reads, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So in Christ, upon that moment of faith, of trusting Jesus as your Savior, you became a new creation. You were united with him in his death and his burial, but also in his resurrection, so that you might reflect that new creation in the way that you live. This is true for all of us in Christ. Death no longer has dominion or rule or authority over Jesus Christ because he defeated it. And as a result, he was raised and he died to sin and he lives to God. This is where we move to our next principle. After the understanding, knowing that our old self was crucified, knowing that Christ has been raised from the dead. Number three, we must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I'll read verse 11. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Um, what's really interesting, is a literal translation of this could be, consider yourselves dead on the one hand to sin, and on the other hand alive to God in Christ Jesus. I read a note this week that indicates that this word, consider uh, yourselves, is the first imperative in the Greek language in the book of Romans up until this point. And I would have to go back and make sure that to look at the rest of the book to understand that that's true. But, but if that's true, that is a profound way for Paul to finally write a command of something that the Christian is to do and that these Roman Christians were to do. The first command or imperative is consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That seems pretty important. If this is the first command that he uses in the whole letter, five chapters plus up until this point, that we should pay attention to what he is writing to the Roman Christians and to us today. The word consider can be understood as reckon, compute, calculate, take into account, or determine. We shouldn't think of reckon or consider as maybe it's used in some parts of the country like it's a guess. Like, you know, I reckon it's going to snow today. No, no, no. This is not intended to be a word of supposition, but a word of certainty. Think about, reflect on what is true and what we know to be true of our lives. The term means to consider something that is true and to continue considering that it is true. We have to continue to consider the fact that we have spiritually died to sin and been spiritually resurrected to God in Christ. And we have to consider this to be true because it is true of us in Christ. 
And as I've said, it's hardest when those moments of temptation come. And a few years ago, when we lived in Kansas, I was having lunch with a good friend that we would meet with and just talk about the Bible and spiritual walks. And uh, he has a wonderful story of, of coming from a, a same-sex attraction lifestyle and, and wanting to find victory through that. And, and he said that he heard a, a pastor once say that when temptation is rearing its head and we are tempted to give in, that from Romans 6, we can actually say something out loud that might help us in the moment to remember and to consider that we're dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And that is to say the words out loud, I'm dead to that. Let's, let's just do that right now. Let's say those words out loud. I'm dead to that. And those words have at times been a very helpful application for me. I'm dead to that sin. It no longer has dominion over me. And I am alive to God in Christ Jesus. We have to understand with this change, this identity change, we are no longer the people we used to be. So we should not, no matter how we feel about ourselves, we might feel uh, that we are under sin's dominion, but that is no longer true. And that's where our feelings can betray us. Oh, the temptation is so great, I I have to give into it. Uh, Our feelings may be real in the moment, that doesn't mean that they're reflecting reality and the spiritual truth that we are dead to sin and alive to Christ. So as we move to our final point, uh, what does this mean practically? And I'm I'm thankful that Paul has basically given a lot of practical application along the way. Uh, But here we find the real application of how we are to live in number four. We must present ourselves and our bodies to God as instruments of righteousness. (laughs) Present ourselves and our bodies as instruments to God, our, our bodies to God as instruments of righteousness. I'll read verses 12 through 14. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but, and that's a, that's a very hard conjunction there of hard contrast, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace." And, and here's the tension that we've been re- we can recognize in our lives. We've been freed from sin. We've died to it. But the problem is sin has not died. Sin no longer has power over us, but is still a very powerful principle that is at work in our lives, right? I mean, I can say I, I, I still struggle with sin, and I, I think you can say the same thing. We've died to sin, but sin has not died. So What do we do knowing that our relationship with sin has changed? The presence of sin remains. Um, Maybe this is a terrible illustration. I'm going to include it, and someone can rebuke me later. But uh, when I was in college, I dated a girl who lived in the house next door. And at one point, my mom said, are you sure that's the best idea? Oh, mom would be fine. It was not fine. Um, And we broke up. Okay, we broke up one summer. And that means that my relationship to her and her relationship to me changed, right? We're no longer in this dating relationship. It has ended. It's died. But we still live next, live next door to each other. So she was still around. I was still around. And I'm not going to say who was sin in this illustration here, but you know, we've died. That relationship has ended, has changed. But sin is still present in our lives. So our identity has changed. We have been brought from death to life by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. 
and our lives should reflect the new identity in Him. The penalty and the power of sin have been eliminated, but the presence of sin is still real. So, what are we to do? We are no longer to be the people that we used to be, because we are no longer the people that we used to be. So, we should stop doing the sinful things that we used to do, we should stop saying the sinful words that we used to say, and we should stop thinking the sinful thoughts that we used to think. Remember, we're dead to that. Let's say that again. I'm dead to that. I'm dead to that. We should live lives that are consistent with our new identity in Christ. It's just like we have a dog, and I love my dog, but my dog does things that I would never do. I would never act the way that she acts in certain situations. At least, I hope not. Maybe there are some that I do, um, if you ask my family. But, uh, but I'm not that animal. I should not act like she does. I should act like who I am, not just as a human being, but who I am as a follower of Christ with my identity firmly rooted in him. We can, as I said, still choose to sin, but we do not have to because sin is no longer our master like it used to be. And each day we can make the choice. We actually can make the choice. Are we going to present the members of our body? And that idea of presenting means to stand beside, to yield to, to receive orders from. Am I going to receive orders from my old master, my old commander, sin, and present my, the members of my body as instruments of unrighteousness? And the word there, instruments, could also be translated tools or weapons. Am I going to serve the old master, or am I going to, uh, interestingly, not just present my members, but present myself? If you notice that in verse 13, uh, he, he doesn't say, uh, present your members to God, but present yourselves, all of us, all that we are, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Are we going to present our thoughts and our words and our deeds to God, who is our true master? present our whole selves to him. It's kind of a matter of which war are we going to, which side of the war are we going to fight on? Are we going to use these weapons for unrighteousness or for righteousness? And if we wield instruments of unrighteousness and choose to sin, we are actually allowing sin to have unauthorized dominion in a land that it no longer rules, that is in my life and your life. Our lives belong to Christ, not to sin. Choosing to sin is like a hostile spiritual takeover. We know what's happening over in Ukraine and hostile takeovers and what that looks like physically. But choosing to sin is a spiritually hostile takeover. It's something that's no longer legally allowed. Only obedience to our true master, Jesus Christ, is allowed, spiritually speaking. And that is because we are no longer under the authority of the Mosaic Law but rather the authority and the gift of God's grace. And God's grace, as Paul writes about at the very end of these verses, should move us to be a more progressively sanctified people where we avail ourselves more and more to the Holy Spirit and he transforms us more and more into the image of Christ. But more on that at our next time together in two weeks. I leave with a quotation from Dr. Tom Constable where he writes, Sin has no further claim on Christ because he paid the penalty for sin. Sin no longer has a claim on us because he died as our representative. 
We are free from sin's domination because of our union with Him. The fact remains, God has broken the chain that once bound us to sin, and happily, we are free of its domination. Unfortunately, we will not be free of its enticement until our glorification. We're learning about sanctification here in the book of Romans. And the big idea from these verses is that in Christ Jesus, we have a new identity whereby we are free from the power of sin and free to live lives of obedience and holiness to God. Thanks for joining us today. For more information on the Williamsburg Friday Men's Breakfast, please visit wcchapel.org slash mensbreakfast. I hope you'll join us again for our next installment in our study of the Book of Romans. Until then, know that you have been set apart for the gospel of Jesus Christ. God bless and have a great week.